Let's pray as we begin here. Father, we worship you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. Father, thank you for the time in worship, the time where corporately we come together and we focus on you. Father, thank you that we don't just have to do that corporately. But thank you, Lord, that you are there individually for everything in our lives. The intimacy that you desire, Father, is is a complete one. Not periodic. Not in category, but complete. Father, I give you my mouth, I give you my will, my hands, my feet. Father, you know my heart's desire and you know the discussions that we have had. My desire is that you speak what you want. Of my free will, I give you my will, my voice. We stand hungry to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why are we satisfied with scraps? Sitting at the base of a table in which we were invited to sit at the table. Do you understand what I mean? Why do we accept simply scraps from God's table as he has invited us to sit at the table with him? Now, perhaps not here, but maybe on the internet, immediately minds go to physical things on this earth new car, a good job, a nice home. Physical things that it seems like the world has in many cases that we don't. Boy, that's not what I'm talking about at all. If your mind goes there, please change that paradigm immediately. Jesus said... It's not even about that. It's, I mean, he lived his own life with literally nothing. And it was never about the stuff. It was never about what we're given in terms of that. Those are things that please God's heart. And he does. Thank God he does. And we get to enjoy him, but... When I talk about the scraps from Satan, that Satan just throws our way from the table of God that we have access to the entire buffet, I'm talking about intimacy with him. Now, if we were to go around and I were to ask about your authority in Christ and even amongst the bride, most would say, I'm a child of God. I have authority in Christ. The Bible tells me that. Do you understand that you can be given authority and never act in that authority? You can be given an invitation and receive that invitation and never act upon it. What's worse is you can put it into the hands of others. That's what the bride's done all over the world. We have literally put our inheritance into the hands of those who do not receive the inheritance, who don't even care about it, don't even care about being a child of God or sitting at his table. They don't even care. And yet these are the people that we have allowed 
to move into authority over us in this physical world. Why? Why? Why, church? It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when the literal power that is in our hands, we don't even believe. We don't even use. We can't even believe it enough to unify as a bride. Because, see, that's where the real power is, and Satan knows it. So he keeps us divided. Do you know my brothers and sisters in Christ are not just those who believe like I do? Who believe in this or that? Or interpret doctrine a certain way in the Bible? No, my brothers and sisters in Christ are simply those who have received Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Believing that He came as God. He was God. He is God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you see Him as the manifest Spirit of God. The manifest Godhead. By the way, Jews believed that. Do you know Jews believed It was called a two-power doctrine. They fully believed it, fully embraced it, up until about 200 A.D., when it didn't fit their narrative anymore. That's because they had Yahweh. They had the supreme God, Father God. And then they had the manifest God, the manifest power that showed Himself many times throughout Scripture. That was the one that Joshua ran into outside of the walls of Jericho. So we believe. When we accept Jesus Christ, who as God became man, inserted himself into his own creation, became a human man, lived a perfect life. Drew unto himself those who would come. Sinless life. And gave it on the cross. Gave it for you and for me. And because death could not hold him, he was not held in the grave. He was raised from the dead, by the way, by the very power that lives in us. (laughs) Where do we miss that? Raised from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father until, until the Father makes his enemies his, his footstool. If you believe that, and by your mouth you have confessed Jesus Christ, invited him into your heart as Savior. You're my brother and you're my sister. It's just that simple. Now, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Clearly. (laughs) Clearly. But guess what, church? We're supposed to figure it out. We're not supposed to stay fragmented because Satan is loving the fact that we just accept the scraps. When we're supposed to sit at the table. We're supposed to be in intimacy with the Father directly. Through Jesus Christ. Facilitated by the Holy Spirit. That is our inheritance. It's Him. It's no different from the person who believes in the gifts and doesn't believe in the gifts. And then then you have this church that's divided because of all these things that they disagree with and everything else. Now, truly, there are dangers in those things. But here's the problem. If you are focused on people, if you are focused on preachers, If you are focused on somebody who knows more than you about the Word of God and and they can parse everything and they know Hebrew and they know Greek, well, they know more than me, so I'm going to follow them. 
Man, you made your first mistake. If you're listening to me now and you're just assuming I will believe I trust his life, I know the purity in which he walks and I trust him and I will just believe what he says, you're making your first mistake. Because what you're required to do is take that intimacy, take what you learn, and through your intimacy, your own personal intimacy, take it to the Lord. Because guess what? He's not going to tell me anything different than he tells you. He might tell you to do something different. I don't mean that. We all play a different role. We all play a different part. But he's not going to tell you anything differently in terms of his character than what he would tell me. That's what we call confirmation. (laughs) In hearing the voice of God, in hearing the word of God, when he speaks to us, which he does. By the way, if you don't believe that. You've got some work to do. You don't have to parse and, and, and know Hebrew and, and know Greek to know that he speaks to you because it's plain in his word. And if you don't know, if you don't know his voice, if you don't know how to get his voice, let me tell you how. Wake up every morning and seek him. Say, yes, Lord, I desire you. I want to hear your voice. I see it in your word. I know you have said on your son, you would speak to your son. In fact, it says you will not hold anything back. So, Lord, I will wait here until you speak. Just like Jacob, don't let go until you get it. And he's not withholding it. Because he wants to. You don't receive it. Because you've got to want it. You've got to want it. Jacob, in wrestling with the Lord, he wanted it to the detriment of his life. He was willing to give his very life. I I don't know what he was thinking. You know, can you imagine wrestling with an angel or wrestling with the Lord? I mean, in a physical way. (laughs) Can't imagine that. It's kind of stupid. In reality, it really is. But he was so hungry for the Lord's yes in his life that he was willing to do it and he held on. See, this world is going to change When we as a group get that, and when we as a group come together upon that, and it is going to happen. We talked about this last week. Last week we talked about the fact that that we were called, and the very first commandment that we were given as a human race, we failed on. To this day, so almost 6,000 years later, we continue to fail on. And that is that the Father said, go, subdue the earth, subdue it. Do you ever wonder why, and and I mentioned this last week, I I encourage you to go back and listen to last week again, because you're going to want to listen to this week a few times. And you may want to get out note and paper, because I'm going to give a lot of of scripture and a lot of things. I, I hope, can't even see the clock, that might be a good thing. Thanks, don't point that out. <laughs> Just for that, we're going two hours. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But last week we talked about subduing the earth. You know, it's interesting that the scripture doesn't say that creation was completed and or that, that when God finished the sixth day, he looked at all creation and said it was perfect. It was complete. He didn't say that. He didn't say that for a reason. See, because Eden already was perfect and complete. The idea was man was to multiply 
and go and make complete the rest of the world. To subdue it. To not conquer it in terms of there's sin there and, and it's got to go get conquered like the, the Israelites going into Canaan. It's not like that. It is literally to fill it with God lovers. To this day, I mean, Adam failed immediately. To this day, we have not done that. We did the first part pretty good. Replenish. Fill the earth. Okay, we, we've done that part. We were good at that part. But in terms of subduing it for God, for Father God, Yahweh, we have not done it. We talked about that last week. What I want to show you today is the fact that we're supposed to, and he has a plan. He had a plan from the beginning. I want, I want to go over some of this. You know, it's interesting, as, as we get into this, it's interesting how, how God has, has ways that he does things. He always gives his creation opportunity to serve him. Opportunity to choose him over themselves or the enemy. Right? He always, always does that. You had the creation, all of creation of the world, and then you, the, you have the creation of man and woman. And God said it was very good. He said, go and multiply and subdue the earth. There were three major failures, we'll call them, by mankind that changed God's plan. Now understand, God is also outside of time. He knew this was going to happen. This was not a surprise to him. God's plans were already in place long before he even created us or created anything else. None of this surprises him, and that's different than him predestining it. I don't want to rabbit trail, but this is not about predestination like he planned for evil to come into the world. He didn't. That's not what it is. God is not choose, you're going to be saved, you're not going to be saved. He does not predestine that. He knows it ahead of time. And if you ever want to ask about that, ask me about that. Man, we could sit down and talk about that for a long time. I don't want to get into it here. But there were three major failures of humankind that altered the plan of God. The first one is pretty obvious. The first one was Adam. Adam kind of changed the direction of everything, didn't he? Because, see, Adam was not deceived. Eve was. Adam was not deceived. But Adam was faced with a choice. That's why Jesus is called the last Adam. Because Adam was faced with a choice of loving his wife, literally dying for her, or allowing her destruction. See, because sin brings separation. He knew she had sinned. The Bible said she was deceived in it, but he was not. He knew what he was doing. He knew that by eating of that fruit, he would be altering everything in his relationship with the Lord. So that was the first failure. And we talked about that last week. I'm not going to get into... Um, we talked about it a little bit last week, and, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of that. You know what that was. The second major failure we see in Genesis 6. I want you to turn there. This is what literally what brought on the flood. Okay, you've got, you've got Adam and Eve, and then they had their offspring, and, and you've got this, this idea of filling the earth, which, as we said before, they, they did pretty good at. But then you had... The enemy come and infiltrate this plan. Knowing full well that God said at the fall of man that he would redeem man. And he even said how? Through the bloodline of Eve. 
Let's go to Genesis 6. I'm going to start at verse 4. No. No, let's start at verse 1. When men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. By the way, just as a side note, that's not saying that, that now after the flood, people live 120 years. Okay, first of all, I'd love to meet someone who's 120 years old. It's not what it meant. It was God declared at that moment destruction of the earth, and it would come in 120 years. So in other words, what we find is Noah has 120 years to build this ark. And because he and his sons were doing it by hand, I'm guessing it probably took him a pretty good chunk of that time. Verse 4, the Nephilim were in the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Again, I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail right now of what this is talking about, but I'm going to encourage you in everything that I'm going through here, do a deeper dive. Okay, The Nephilim were not human spirits as what we know redeemable spirits are. Okay? And and I'm not going to go down that road right now. Although, man, come and see me. We'll talk about it all you want. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have even made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Imagine, imagine the heartbreak of the father. After the first failure. And then Adam and Eve, trusting God, producing a family. You see lines where they believed. Then you see lines where they didn't. You see lines of infiltration where the enemy came in. Then you even see direct infiltration, which it talks about here. The Lord was grieved. He was grieved over this. Grieved so much that it says here, he wished he hadn't even made them. Which, I don't know about you, in my mind, that's a little confusing because he knew it was going to happen. So, so in other words, he chose this knowing he would be grieved because love was that important to him. That's an extraordinary thought. But it says back in verse 5, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Imagine living in in a world on an earth that is like that. I mean, we may compare that to right now. But if there were only eight of us, then it would be a better comparison. Imagine a world like it was then, and you've got you and your family. And, and those in the line that came before you that all died off within that 120 years. That's a lonely place to be. That's a lonely place to be. And God took that and restarted again. Restarted again. We know the, the story. The flood came, killed everything off. Noah, his wife, his sons, their wives, eight people total, restarted. Restarted again. Had the third opportunity, or the second opportunity now, to say, we believe you. We will go and do what you tell us to do. We will live our lives according to what you say. 
So that was the second failure. Number two, third major failure. And I'll tell you what, apparently three is a charm. Because this one changed everything. Third major failure takes us to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And I want to read this here, just through these nine verses. Now the whole earth, now now you can imagine, okay, Noah's done, the flood's gone, they're rebuilding, they're having kids, everything else. We do know out of Genesis 6 that the Nephilim, where the, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and after, and after the flood, it happened again, right? It happened afterward, and now all of a sudden, we are back where we were before. We're back where we were when God said, I will destroy the earth. Except God, God has a problem, because he said he would never do that again. He would never destroy the earth with water. He would never do that again. But this is what he was up against. Verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. By the way, this, this is up in like the Syria area. If you, if you go kind of north, what is that, northeast of, of where you would see Israel. And they said one to another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Boy, if that wasn't a prophetic statement, they like prophesied right over themselves that they would be dispersed anyways, literally because of what they're doing. By the way, why is that important there? Let us make a name for ourselves. It's because they would not receive the name for which they were. The one who created them. Father God, Yahweh, they would not receive His name. They wanted a name for themselves. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. What an extraordinary statement. Did you hear that? And nothing that they propose to do to do will now be impossible for them. Now, if you know anything about the Tower of Babel, if you know, which, by the way, they, they believe they have found the foundations for that. Um, I won't get into that, but very interesting study. Our buildings now would be giants compared to the Tower of Babel. What they were building was not something thousands of feet high. It's probably hundreds of feet high. It's nothing like some of the structures we've built today. So do you understand it wasn't about the structure? It was about their mindset. Because what was being built there was a bridge between them and the gods in which they believe, which was not Yahweh God. It was not Father God, the Creator. They believed in, and, and by the way, you see them today. That, that's what, uh, what's it called, a ziggurat? I can't remember the, the name, but, but the, the, you know, the pyramids are the same. But yeah, the ones you, you see, the Mayans and the Aztecs, they, they build these ziggurats. It's the same sort of idea. Those in the ancient, ancient world were believed to be mountains that their gods would inhabit. They were building a house for their gods. And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, they're unified. If we let them do this, if we let them unify 
under this. There is nothing that they cannot do. That just shows you how important unity is. See, Satan knows how important unity is. Satan understands that that's why he's attacked the bride in that way, separating us in, in so many infantile ways. And the Lord came down, oh wait, uh, verse 7. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and left, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This was number three. This was the third time now the Father said, believe in me. Believe in your Creator. Believe in the one God. The true God. The only true God. By the way, not the only God. We're going to see that in a little bit, and I'm not going to go down again that rabbit trail, but not the only God. The only true God. Because there are other gods. That's why man worshipped them. There are other beings. Satan was made prince and power of the air. There are other beings that are higher than human beings. So it is real simple for a simple human being to believe in that power being God. And yet God does not allow it. It's false. It's fake. And now this is three times, three times that mankind has egregiously sinned. So this time, God took a different tact. This time, he gave them away. He literally said, okay, okay, I'm going to break up your unity because I can't allow that. I can't allow that kind of power. But if you want to believe in other gods, I'm going to place you under their rule, and we'll see how you like it. That's literally what he did here. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is extraordinary to me. That if, if you want to know the, the ancient world view, it's explained right here in this chapter in Deuteronomy 32. God gave the nations, literally, their inheritance. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. Again, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, don't think that these are people that God trusted and, you know, uh, uh, okay, I'm going to put you in charge over here because, because you're, not, you're not one of the third that fell and you're going you're gonna to handle them with care, you know, kind of like Michael is the prince of Israel. It's not like that at all. But then verse 9 said, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage, which, by the way, when this was happening at Babel, did not exist yet. Didn't exist. God literally gave all the nations away. He placed them under the leadership of the sons of God that had led them at Babel. That had led them in the creation of this tower, in the creation of the very unity that took them away from God. He said, you want them, you got them, but not together. And he separated them to the earth at that time. It said he filled the entire earth. One thing that's extraordinary to me, and it, it, man, there's so many rabbit trails I would love to go down in this talk, and we just can't right now. But one of them is, how do we have history going all the way back to the flood in three other parts of the world? We have Chinese history going back to just after the flood. 
We have Mayan history going back to just after the flood. Right? We have other histories that go back that had nothing to do with the biblical view of his chosen people. Does that mean that well, they're really not part of the narrative? They're not, they're not God's creation? They're, they're not this? They're not? No, of course not. I'm going to show you why the biblical narrative is focused on a certain group of people. It's because God had already given the nations away. He had given them what they deserved, literally gave them their inheritance, which is what we just read. But out of that, he called a people of his own, which is what it refers to in the end of of, uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 9 there. But... In him calling that out, I want, I want you to understand this is a really important aspect. Those principalities that were placed in charge, that were spread throughout the earth, God still had expectation of them. He didn't know their true character and, okay, you just do what you want and it's okay. That's not it. Any time God places charge of anything in anyone's hands, he expects it to be pointed to him. Now, he knew they wouldn't, but the expectation was there. It's important to understand that. By the way, just a side note, I believe there were seven. I believe there were seven that were sent throughout the entire earth. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole here right now, but I believe there were seven principalities. You see evidence of that in Zechariah chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 5 with the seven eyes and then those that go out to roam the earth. Some of the best evidence you see is in Revelation in the first beast, the first beast that had seven heads. And, And again, you can ask me about that later sometime. But God had an expectation for them to steward well the inheritance that they were given, these principalities, even though he knew they wouldn't. They were fallen. They had already even made their choice. But man had chosen them, so God gave them to him. Do you see what I'm saying? And then some 200 years later or so, God calls out his own nation. And we know him as Abraham. God begins this plan of redemption. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. And I know we're going through a lot of history right now. But there's a reason for this. Genesis chapter 12 Call of Abraham, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, recognize what ha- what's happening here. Where Abram was called from was the same area, the same general area where Babel happened. He was literally called from the heart of the dispersion, this dispersion over the the entire earth. He was called from that to make for, the Lord called him to make for himself a nation that would be his own, as it said in Deuteronomy 32 Verse 9. And from this family, 
that was going to be his own would come the very prophecy that was spoken of back in Genesis 3. This seed that would bring a Messiah, that would bring a Messiah that would save us from our sin. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And this is down in the seed of Abraham. And you, you guys know the story of Abraham and how he was called out. And then, and then David, being the first true king of Israel, came from Abraham. Verse 1 said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, which was David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. See, in this paragraph... It began to switch from who David would be, being the first king called by God, to his seed, the Messiah, bringing peace to the family, to God's chosen people. And if, if you read on, it, it goes on in chapter 11 that gives you indication of when Christ will rule on this earth in the thousand year reign. But again, a, a Messiah was going to come. Remember what's happening now. God had given literally the earth away to the enemy. The enemy was in complete charge of the earth. If, if he wasn't, by the way, then they would not have had to conquer the land of Canaan. When they, back with Joshua, when they went into the promised land, they would not have had to conquer it. But it was already given away. The expectation was there for those principalities to, to steward that properly for God, even though they did not. Then you had Jesus come, and we all know that story. We talked about that at the beginning. Jesus, born of a virgin, God who became man, lived a perfect sinless life, gave his life on the cross. Went down, but death could not hold him. Rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father. You have this seed that came through David, that came through Abraham, that was called out of what was hopeless, right? Called into an earth that was now run and occupied by those who oppose God, and yet he would bring salvation to his people. So, so again, and this is where I wanted to get to. So you have the Messiah who died, and you have these chosen people that were called out, but Satan was duped. Satan believed that it was... Just that people. That if he could keep that people, God's chosen people down, then he could have victory. He could continue to control the earth. But see, we know that it was different than that. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. We know that Gentiles were included in this salvation. Verse 25 says this. 
lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And, this, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. This is such an incredible verse. Because not only, if you read earlier in there, not only are Gentiles grafted into this promise. Not only are we brought into his inheritance as his children, but literally his called people. His called people. Their, what's it say? Their, their salvation. In this way, all Israel will be saved. How? In the fullness of the Gentiles, that, that's not what I grew up believing and have believed for many years is that that means that however many Gentiles are going to be saved, are going to be saved. Once that last person saved, and I've even preached this, once that last person saved, boom, we're gone. It's not what it means at all. It's not about the full number of salvations. It is what is expected of the Gentiles. It is what is expected of his children. It is the unification of his children to literally take back the land. Remember, the, wor- the world, the entire earth, is run and controlled in those seven areas by the enemy. And God is saying, this mystery that I had in this death of my son and resurrection of my son is that I am including in them a people that will say yes. That all of a sudden the requirement is not race. The requirement is no longer Jewish heritage. It's no longer believing in the law, adhering to the law, which, by the way, another rabbit trail, but it, it never was. It never was in the, even in the Old Testament. But he said, I am going to open it up because this must affect all nations. And he did. He opened up his salvation to all who would believe. And then began something extraordinary. We had the opportunity to learn as children of God to be unified with him and unified with each other. The very thing back at Babel that they would have changed the world over. The enemy. That unity. Now we have that opportunity to do that in Jesus Christ together. That was the mystery that was revealed. I want you to go to Psalm 82. What time is it? Okay. I don't know. This is such an incredible psalm because this psalm is the declaration to those principalities of what he is doing. And what he will do through his children. Verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. So if you could picture what's going on. God is sitting down. With these other rulers. Right? With these other wrong rulers. That he had given charge to. How long will you judge unjustly? By the way, don't be confused. Don't think that God is talking about the Trinity there. Because some, some, some people say, well, God's just talking about the Trinity there because there are no other gods. No, there are no other gods like him. There are no other gods before him. There are other gods. He's taken his place in the divine council in the midst of these gods. Father God, Yahweh, holds judgment. And he says to them, how long will you judge unjustly how, and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. 
They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Isn't that a picture of the earth under the control of the enemy? And he's saying, why have you not stewarded my earth well? I gave you opportunity back at Babel. I gave you those nations. You have not stewarded them well. So verse 6, I said you are God's son of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you will die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. See, God is taking the nations back. He's taking the nations back. He's taking United States back. It will not be as it is, as it looks to us right now. Why? Because the nations rage. Because they're not under the control of godly people. They're under the control of Satan. And as it was given to them. But yet God has already pronounced judgment on that. That's why the mystery was the church. The mystery was this idea of relationship through Jesus Christ. So he could be our leader. Not just in our salvation, but in our victory. In our conquering. Why do you think he says we are more than conquerors? Well, I just can't wait till one day in heaven I'm going to be more than a conqueror. What a waste. What a waste of your life if you're waiting till heaven. He didn't say that for heaven. He said it for now. He is drafting his children now. Why? Because our unity, our unity is what makes everything possible. Our unity in him, our unity together. We see it there. There's something about that unity because it was going to work for them. It was going to work for Satan's forces. How much more would it work for God's? So he is drafting his people not to just go through life thinking, I've just got to survive. Oh my goodness. These last, how long has Biden been in there? Yeah, too long, yes, I know. It's been, what, a couple of months? It's not even been 100 days yet, right? And yet our world has changed. Our country has changed. How many Christians look at that as the fact that they just have to take it? They just have to take it. You know, abortion's been around now for 50 years. I'm going to just pray for those for those. Women that are going up there for abortions not to be deceived. Praise God, pray for that. But how about pray for those who allow it and those who have the, the, the laws that allow it to be taken out of office? To how about be destroyed? We've talked about that before. God says, pray for your enemies. Yes, amen. I do. I pray for their destruction. That's exactly what David did. That's exactly what David did. I pray that they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that they unify on the team that is God's team. But if they don't, I pray for their removal. For them to be gone. I honestly don't care how God wants to do it. Because right now, they are a covering over me that I did not choose. They are a covering over you that you did not choose. And don't think that choice comes democratically. (laughs) That's a... I won't say it. It's not true. 
Because, see, if everybody stepped forward and had their voice heard, that might be one thing. But, see, Satan is the prince and power of the air. Satan manipulates and can keep hidden or shine what he does. We are to fight against that. Do you understand this nation is supposed to be ours? It's supposed to be ours. It's supposed to be under God's rule. That doesn't mean now all of a sudden it will be under our rule and we can force people to do what we want. No. No, God is the God, not us. We're his hands and his feet. But guess what? The one thing that needs to be the case is that there be no other gods before him. And yet, that is how this nation is now. That's how almost every nation is now. Their gods may look different. Their gods may, because now we're technologically advanced and we don't worship gods of stone. Baloney. They've just taken on different form. You still have the God of this earth worshipped and leading those who would go against God. If you're waiting for God to come and do this, you don't know him very well. Because everything he has done in his word, he works through his people. That's why at Babel, he didn't just destroy him and start again. He could have. That's why he chose a nation for himself. One that he could be intimate with, that would produce offspring that would trust him. Now you have people that have received this precious gift all over the world of salvation. They need to know that along with that salvation is a calling. A calling of intimacy with him. A calling of sitting at the banquet table. Not eating whatever Satan decides you ought to get. And the bride is going to rise up. It is going to rise up in this country. Because God is on the move. He is uniting his people. He is drafting those that will say yes. Are you one of those? Lex, come on And I, I had like five other passages to go to, but we will not do that today. I could feel the room of really passionate agreement when it comes to this waking up of the bride. I know that is the prayer and the desire of each of us. And it just, it can only come from those who are already passionate about the Lord, just stepping out in, in, in passionate prayer. And I love the latter part of James 5.16, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or produces great results. We certainly are not going to find it from human understanding. You ask the average person on the street, you know, what's, what's the biggest problem in our nation or in our world today? You know, ignorance or complacency? And you'll get a crazy answer. I don't know and I don't care. You know, it, it's, it's one of these strange kind of things where people don't know what the problem is. And sadly, they don't care. Because both of those are prevailing problems. It is only in Jesus. And, um, man, these scriptures, um, I'm excited to do a deep dive. Even though Greg and I actually never really discuss much um, what we're going to share because the Holy Spirit tries to keep us in suspense sometimes. We just kind of dive in all week and then he releases what he's going to release through um, the preaching and teaching. But, um, but it is so profound what we carry. And um, ask the Lord to not just 
fill you, but to fill you to overflow. You know, the measure of the filling of the Holy Spirit is not in the filling. It's in the overflow. You don't know if, it, uh, if a glass, a, a cup rather, that you can't see through, you don't know how full it is until you see what is overflowing over the side. It could be a little bit full, a lot full, but the measure of how much is in there, how much is coming out, is going to be measured in the overflow. So lately I've been praying to the Lord, let me overflow, not just be filled to what I need, but that, that I'm so overflowing that the world... Everybody I come into contact with, grocery store, Wawa, every appointment I have, I want to carry the Lord's presence. And there is a world crying out, crying out. And, and there are many things that are scaring people, things that, that you wouldn't think. There's, there are strange things, things that even the propaganda of these things is scaring people. The, the climate change, a lot of people that have anxiety, actual physical anxiety about climate change, don't even have a, a concept or an understanding of what that actually even means. But there is this anxiety. It's because there's demon raging manifestation everywhere through fear. Whether it's of diseases, the climate change, um, the something that is considered hateful, racist, or, you know, there, there are labels and everything flying everywhere. Lies rampant. And yet believers carry the truth. And most of us, our lips are sealed. There's an intimidation strategy. There's a strategy to intimidate us. And we've got to recognize that. And then recognize what we carry. It is only going to be when we boldly speak the truth. Um, I'm going to just pray because I could go on and I, I just don't want to derail from any, any of the truth that the Lord has already given this morning. So Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word this morning, God. Thank you for your amazing plan to offer mankind the opportunity for fellowship and relationship with you. God, that even after these three colossal failures, God, of mankind not choosing you, God, you gave us Jesus. You gave us this opportunity. You gave us the hope that we can repent of our sin Accept you, Jesus, as Savior and have that actual Holy Spirit living within us. This, this Spirit that is the very same powerful Spirit of God that raised Jesus himself from the dead. Wow. Oh, God, ignite in us. Ignite in us that reality and what we carry. That we might not just be weighed down with discouragement at times, but that we would confess discouragement and repent of it and then cast it to the abyss as an oppressive, lying spirit because what we carry is only overcoming victory and joy and exuberance in you. And Lord, you know I did that this morning. I woke up to demon lies and as soon as I unwittingly found myself in agreement with them, I recognized that it changed my entire demeanor. And I had to press through. And it was only in saying, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for being in agreement with discouragement when I have you. I carry you. I carry every ounce of joy there is within me through your spirit. And then I can take that nasty, oppressive, demonic, lying strategy and cast it to the abyss. What a breakthrough, God, that you offer by just following the simple pathway to freedom that you offer. The casting down of the imaginations that exalt themselves higher against the knowledge of God. Lord, that we would bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of you, Lord Jesus. I just thank you, God, that you make a way for us to escape every temptation, even the temptation to just be completely depressed and discouraged and feeling hopeless. All these lies, God, help us to recognize what this is, that you make a way for us to escape things, that there's always a pathway to freedom. Because when we know the truth, which is in the person of you, Lord Jesus, you will make us free. 
Thank you for John 8.32. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for the truth. Help us to recognize what you spoke today through Greg, that we would dig in your word and that we would stand and, and be ready to obey this charge of taking back what the enemy has stolen, that we would carry with boldness the hope that is in our, our inheritance through Christ Jesus. Lord, it is amazing. And, Lord, you can give us that, Lord, just like you do Carson, even when he is on a physical bed of affliction for years, years and years. God, what you have done to transform his spirit, his resolve, his faith, is a testimony to all of us. And I thank you for it. That no matter what happens to our exterior human experience, God, we can know who we are in you and we are always victorious. And God, we know you'll raise him up. You promised that. But Lord, I look at how much Paul suffered and yet what a victorious man and ministry that he had, God. Because he didn't look at this life as his real reality. He looked at the kingdom and your righteousness. He, he was a seeker of that. And then you added everything else he needed. So I thank you. I thank you, God, for what's available. Let us take that with us today. Even at lunch. Lord, there's a strategy to defeat some of us the second we leave here. The second we encounter a gas station or, or go to have lunch. God, I just pray that you would carry us in victory in the faith to receive what you have spoken over us today, which is only victory, not scraps. That the enemy lies to us and tries to shred our worth. When apart from you, yes, we are nothing. But in you, God, in you, we have all that we need. Thank you, God. We worship you. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen.